tell you what you're listening to welcome to father simon says on relevant radio with father richard simon i'm here to answer your questions have a question give us a call 1-888-914-9149 as any question you may have about the lord the faith and the church that's 1-888-914-9149 this is in fact a radio show called father simon says on relevant radio Well, hello. We've got fun stuff today. It involves talking donkeys, so <laughs> let's not waste any time and let's pray. <laughs> In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle in them the light of your spirit. Lord, you send forth your spirit. I'm, I've got to start again. I, I'm, I'm laughing too much about the talking donkey. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful. Lord, just send us your Holy Spirit. It's going to be one of those days, you know, Lord. And please bless us and help us to understand your purposes. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God cast into hell Satan, all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm, I'm better now. I'm, not, I'm, I'm over the giggles. I don't know why I start with the giggles. Oh, well. Let's, well, I mean talking donkeys. I mean, it's... But hey, all right, before all right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Okay, now we are into it. You know, I I, I had someone talk about the this section of scripture and say, talking donkeys? What this is nuts. This is like cartoon. I personally heard from Father Benedict Groeschel, may he rest in peace. A story about Solanus Casey, Brother Solanus Casey. But Solanus Casey's blessed now, isn't he? Your voice in my head. I think he's been beatified, not just venerable. He's be, he's blessed. Well, he was actually my grandmother's spiritual director, by which we mean when Grandma came apart, he put her back together, which she often did. So he was a wonderful guy, good at listening to people like Grandma. Well, um, he was he was an amazing uh, wonder worker. I mean, we had some amazing wonder workers in the in the twentieth century. Uh, you know, Padre Pio, uh, Saint Andre Bisset, who actually was a distant cousin of my sister-in-law. Uh, I call him my saint-in-law, and and uh, Brother Solanus uh, Casey. And uh, I don't know if you've ever studied the, the, the life of Solanus Casey. He's an amazing guy. You know, he was in a, uh, he lived in Wisconsin, and um, he went to seminary in Milwaukee, and they just didn't, didn't think he was that smart. They, they sent him to Detroit, but they said, well, he's not that smart. He doesn't speak any German at all. Well, his name's Casey. Never mind. But, <laughs> well, he was ordained a priest uh and and uh, served in New York and in the Priory, uh, St. Bonaventure's Priory in Detroit, which is where my family knew him. And uh, actually, I had a cousin who was miraculously healed by by uh, Solanus Casey. Uh, she 
long before she told me the story when she was almost 80 um, long before um, antibiotics and that sort of thing she had a mastoid bone infection was going to have an operation she was a little girl about six and she was in such terrible pain that uh, they brought her to brother Solanus in the middle of the night and no problem he was the doorkeeper that's all they let him do he opened the door because that you know he was he was doorkeeper for the priory uh, and he was in a position in this monastic, essentially a monastic enclosure, though they were uh, Franciscan brothers. Um, he was in a position to minister to all these people, and he was just absolutely generous with his time and his energy. You got him up in the middle of the night, no problem. Well, he's talking to my my cousin's parents and uh, just sort of playing with her, you know, scratching her hair on the head as she sat by his feet, and... Uh, uh, he said, she'll be fine, and take her home. And the doctor the next day, when they brought her in for the operation, said, what, why is this child, there's nothing wrong with this child. She told me this story, you know, 70 years after the fact. So, uh, you know, uh, amazing, amazing wonder workers in, in this age of cynicism and and, uh, and uh, pseudoscience. So, but where was I? I'm digressing. Well, uh, Father Benedict Groeschel tells a story about uh, Brother Solanus when he was in uh, the uh, uh, in the New York uh, Priory, and uh, they kept bees. Now you know all these stories about Saint Francis preaching to the fish and the wolf at Gubbio, and you know, I mean, really. Well, I heard this from from his own lips, um, Father Groeschel. He said that. They were tending bees, and the bees were going crazy, and they're all the novices are being stung. And uh, so Brother Solanus walks up and says, "What's the problem?" He says, "Father, uh, the bees are going berserk." And so Brother Solanus, without hesitation, and he had a terrible skin affliction himself. He was all, often in great pain. Um, he walked over to the beehives and opened one of them up, and they're not stinging him at all. And he reaches in and takes a bee out, and he puts it in a handkerchief and walks away. And the bees just calm down. And he said to the young brothers, they had two queens. Apparently when there are two queens in a beehive, it's it's chaos. Uh, and uh, they fight it out. And, and you don't go near a beehive that has two queens. It's just, you're going to get stung. Uh, but he had no fear. So if if Solana's case, he could reason with bugs. I have no problem believing that God can can communicate through a donkey. And that brings us to Numbers, the twenty fourth chapter, the second verse and following. And I am going to tell you the story now. I want to uh, jump to the reading today. Um, the utterance of Balaam, son of Beor. The utterance of a man whose eye is true. The utterance of one who hears what God says. The one who sees what the Almighty sees, enraptured and with eyes unveiled. In a certain place in Scripture, I think in the First Kings, we hear that uh, we call here Samuel referred to as a seer, S E E R, and then the text says that is what they were called in, in, in former times. People think of prophecy as uh, thus says the Lord, uh, the stock market is going to create, you know, that it's about predictions about the future that are useful. It's the ability to know the future. That's not what prophecy is. Prophecy is the ability to see through the veil of this world into the real world. It, you're, they're seers. And, and uh, um, 
I, I remember, I, I'm definitely a nonprofit institution myself, but I remember at one or two times in my life, I, I have been able to see something. I'll never forget in the youth group, uh, there was this, uh, some of the, one of the kids had gone to see this rather inappropriate movie. And he was one of the, 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 the team leaders. And I, I looked at him and said, you went to see such and such, didn't you? He said, yeah, who, who told on me? I said, no one. It's written all over your face. I, I'll never forget that. I, 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 I could see it. Now, I, this has happened to me only once or twice in my life. But there are people who have a genuine prophetic gift who are able to see, as, as, as Balaam says of himself, see what God sees. So there's, we live in this world that is on the edge of two dimensions. And I think it's very important to realize that we're only seeing part of reality. Uh, uh, and really the, the, the less important part in a way. Well, you got to know the story, and I'm going to go through it as quickly as I can while time allows. You got to go back to chapter 22. The Israelites are traveling through the desert. They come to the, um, uh, the plains of Moab, uh, which is just opposite Jericho on the other side of the Jordan. And in verse 2, we hear about Balak, son of Zippor who is the king of Moab. And he summons the elders of, of Midian and said, the, these people are trouble. You know, they, well, you know what we got to do? We have to get a prophet to curse them. And in verse 7 of chapter 22, read, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian, themselves experts in divination, left and went to Balaam, uh, who was a prophet. This Balaam, son of Beor at Pethor, in the land of the Ammonites, uh, uh, they 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 go there and and uh, uh, they they Balaam says stay overnight and I'll give you whatever answer the Lord and this is why H W H the God of Israel whatever the Lord gives me and then God came to Balaam and said were these men with you and he said well they've come to at the behest of Balak the king of Moab to. Uh, so that I can curse uh, uh, the Israelites. And, and then, of course, Balak will be able to defeat them. God said to Balaam, do not go with them, with them and do not curse this people, for they are blessed. So uh, the next morning, Balaam arose and told the princes of Balak, go back to your own country, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. And the word used here is YHWH, the sacred name of God. So they went and reported back to Balak and uh, then Balak sent more people. Um, and then Balaam said, even if Balak gave me his house full of silver and gold, I couldn't do anything, contrary to the command of the Lord. Well, in verse 20 of chapter 22, we read, that night God came to Balaam and said to him, if these men have come to summon you, go back with them, yet only on the condition that you do exactly as I tell you. So the next morning, Balaam got up and he went off with the princes of Moab. But the Lord's anger flared at him for going. Now, this is crazy. Why would the Lord's anger flare up when he told him to go? The angel of the Lord took a position on the road. As Balaam was riding along on his donkey, donkey accompanied by two of his servants, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. This is verse 23 of chapter 22. Standing in the road with sword drawn. The donkey turned off the road and went into the field, and Balaam beat the donkey to bring her back on the road. And then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow lane between the vineyards with a stone wall on each side. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord and pressed against the wall. 
and squeezed Balaam's leg against the wall. So he beat her again. Uh, uh, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, that she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger flared up, and he beat the donkey with... This is in the Bible, friends. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she asked to Balaam, What have I done to you that you beat me these three times? You have acted so willfully against me that if I had a sword at hand, I'd kill you here and now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you've always ridden? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way before? Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, so he saw the angel of the Lord standing on the road with sword drawn. And the angel of the Lord said, Why have you beaten your donkey? Uh, I've come as an adversary because of this rash journey of yours against my will. I thought the Lord had told him to go. Balaam said, I've sinned, yet I didn't know that you took a position opposite. Since it is displeased you, I'll go back home. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men. You will say only what I tell you. Now, the angel of the Lord is speaking for the Lord. It's not the angel. Well, <clears throat> what's going on here? God wants him to go, but punishes him for going? I think that there are times when the Lord, even when we are doing his will, will express to us, how very narrow the, how do you say, there's, there's a very narrow margin for error. In other words, this is a dangerous mission I'm sending you on. And the Lord sometimes impresses us with the seriousness of this mission uh, by saying, this mission that you're going on is not my perfect will. I want you to do it. But because of the willfulness of Balak, you know, I, I can't bless Balak. So it's a hard thing to understand. Um, so then we have the oracles of, 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 of Balaam. And he ends up, then we, we, we get to uh, uh, chapter 23, in which there are more uh, oracles, and in which Balaam is just not, he can't curse Israel. And that brings us to our reading today in which uh, we read about the blessing of, of uh, chapter 24. This is three chapters of the scripture. Uh, the utterance of, uh, I've moved on here uh, to today's reading. Balaam gave voice to his oracle. The utterance of Balaam, son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eye is true, um, of one who seizes the Almighty sees. I see him, though not now. I behold him, though not near. A star shall advance from Jacob. A staff shall rise from Israel. This is in Torah. This is in the book of Numbers, which is in the Torah. And the book of Numbers is actually called Bamidbar, in the desert. That's the name of it in Hebrew, and uh, uh, which I think is a much more interesting name than Numbers. This is one of the few verses that seem to be prophetic of the Messiah in the Torah. But I wanted to explain who this Balaam and Balak is because there's just so much richness and it's a world we don't understand. You know, that, that, um, uh, who is it who said, which letter? Uh, I think in the letter of the Hebrews, it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You know, we have all these romantic songs. I'm in his hands. Yes, you are. <laughs> and you better darn well do what he tells you. And he's in, because you're in his hands. You know, this, this, uh, the the text, one of my favorite texts in scripture that nobody ever preaches on. Let me pull it up here. Um, I, the Lord, am a... Um, okay. 
Okay, come on, come on. It's Exodus 25 and Deuteronomy 5.9. You shall not bow down or worship other gods because I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Isn't that something? I am a jealous God. This is, this is, we don't want to talk about this. You know, God is just, you know, the Lord Jesus is my friend. No, he's my Lord. Um, I hope he's my friend. I hope I'm his friend, but he is definitely my Lord. And, and I think that we don't want to talk about that. We want, we want a nice, warm, fuzzy religion, but we fall into the hands of the living God. And I think that's an important thing. I want to quickly go to the gospel. Uh, Jesus came into the temple area. This is Matthew, the 21st chapter. Read that those chapters, 22, 23, and 24. They will mystify you, but they're powerful. Uh, uh, that's uh, 23, 22, 23, and 24 of the book of Numbers. Jesus came into the temple area, and the elders and chief priests say, By what authority are you doing these things? And Jesus says, Whose authority was John's? And they say, mm, if we say of heavenly origin, he will say to us, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say of human origin, we fear the, we, human origin, we fear the crowd. They were uninterested in the truth. So often we think that we have the truth, we've laid hold of the truth, so we don't have to bother about the truth anymore. To be a disciple is to be hungry for truth. The, the, these important, important people, they knew more about God than God did. God was standing in front of them. And and they said, you'll answer us. He said, no, I won't. You know, uh, I, I think that um, I'm going to talk about that again in the, in the word of the day. I want to talk about that, the violent bear it, bear it away, um, that idea of uh, a force. But, you know, so often we think that we're smarter than, than the truth, and we're not. You know, that, that we don't have God cornered. I don't, at least. Maybe you do, but I don't. Um just like Balaam the prophet. He thought he knew what was going on, and God impressed him. You don't know what's going on. You have a gift. But I am far more, I, I, am, I am far more powerful than you realize, and far more holy than you realize. And even though I've asked you to do this thing, it isn't my perfect will. So you better stay darn close to exactly what I've told you, and do not deviate from it. Um, it's a fearful thing. I'll find that verse uh, in the break. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Sorry, it's the Bible. What can I do about it? All right. 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We will come back with Mass Hysteria. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. Day by day, day by day. Oh, this brings me back. This is, I think this is actually the prayer of St. I think it's the prayer of St. Richard. <laughs> it's not me. 
uh, I think that, that that's an old prayer, to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly. It's a good prayer. Well, I, I looked that up, Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 29th verse and following, anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think the one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. How much more severely? Isn't that if For we know him, well, uh, it is, this is verse 31, Hebrews 10, 31. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Elsewhere in the scriptures we read, to whom much has been given, from him much will be required. In other words, if God has called you like he's called Balaam and like he's called the saints, and you trample on that calling, whoa. You know, I wish I, you know, I wish I could preach a, a more of a feel-good gospel, but nah, <laughs> it's the Bible. What am I going to do? All right, let's go to mass hysteria. Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. All right, what do I want to talk about mass hysteria. Sunday was um, the the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. I love the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. And um, it's an amazing, amazing feast because what happened at Tepeyac, a hill north of Mexico City, when the Blessed Mother appeared to Juan Diego, um, changed history. And the Mexican nation is the only country I can think of uh, and, of course, its history has certainly not been perfect, the history of the conquest and certainly the history of the indigenous people. The indigenous people are, are kind of trumpeted as, as uh, uh, these perfect people, and they weren't. I mean, human sacrifice was rampant and utterly demonic. But God took these two people who were essentially, um, oh, gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, well, whatever. They were bloodthirsty. 60,000 people, half of them children, died on the altars of Mexico. And the conquistadors came in and enslaved the people and tried to keep keep them from being converted because you couldn't enslave a fellow Christian. Um, the Franciscan friars snuck a note out to the king of Spain to, to, to tell him what was going on. Took these two peoples, the conquerors and the conquered, and made of them one people... It's called mestizaje, the mixing together of the two peoples. I don't know if you know Mexicans, but they are they love the Lord and they love his mother. And I find Mexican people delightful, simply delightful. Um, of course, this is not universal. There's some who aren't delightful, just like there's one or two of us north of the border that are not delightful. But I, I, I've so enjoyed knowing Mexican people. And and what am I talking about here? What does it have to do with mass hysteria? Well, I celebrated with a small group of people who came out to a farm of a friend out here where I'm living. Um, and they celebrated what's called the Mañanitas a la Virgen. Uh, the 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 good morning to the blessed mother. It's it's actually the Mexican birthday song, Las Mañanitas. It's a beautiful song. And there were guitars and there were hymns and it was beautiful. 
I thought you didn't like guitars at Mass. And that's not the point I'm trying to make. This was not a show. It was about 20 people gathered in a small space who would have preferred to be still in bed, I among them, uh, who just were there to express their love for Christ and his mother. It was anything but a show. I recorded some of the music. Uh, it was certainly not Broadway quality, but there was an absolute sincerity about it. You see, I hope I'm 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 getting that message across that that we need to turn our backs on the idea of mass as entertainment, uh, and I think we the clergy are 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 the great offenders. I know I am. So understand what I'm I'm trying to do in this mass hysteria segment that that we need to refine our hearts. Uh, I, I was thinking of uh, when I was the Cardinals liaison for Spanish speaking charismatic groups in Chicago, I was in charge of that hurricane. And uh, I did a, a retreat for uh, um, the music groups and all oh, the, the music in the Spanish charismatic. Well, it was dog eat dog competition. Everybody was going to become a Christian recording star and sell their albums and, it really sometimes the prayer meetings resembled battles of the bands. I'm being absolutely frankly honest. Uh, um, well, I asked the, the 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 gathered choirs, you know, the choirs of over a hundred prayer groups, and and I asked them, how many of you ever go into church at night uh, when there's no one there and sing in front of the tabernacle, sing and play your guitars in front of the tabernacle for the Lord. I was astonished. One group actually did that. One out of a hundred. I was amazed that somebody actually did it. You know, today is the Feast of St. Lucy, so God bless the choir directors. But do you ever go and just play a serenade for the Lord when no one's listening? And I don't mean go into church and practice. Just go into church and play that organ for Jesus. Why not? Um, the idea that we're doing this... Um, uh, to inspire people to worship. No, we're not. <laughs> you know, that's not... We Examine your motives! Because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, where did I read a thing like that? Let's go to letters. All right, where was I? Oh, I am such a curmudgeon. Let's see here. Okay, um... I got a, a wonderful letter from John Paul uh, about... Uh, the uh, the Orthodox liturgy, someone asked, why do we do the sign of the cross one way and why do they do it another way? And he said that, yeah, that uh, the celebrant is facing the same direction as the congregation. Uh, the latter group uh, followed the priest's gesture from left to right as the Orthodox flock mirrored the priest's left to right gestures. So that's it. And, you know, the thing that make that gets me about this is is so often people have made such a big deal out of you know clearly you're heretical because you're you're doing it the wrong the wrong you're not do, you're doing it the wrong way not the way we do it Oy. all right let's see here um okay let's see here hold on i got to go back to my little gracious. No, no, that's it. All right. This. Oh, this is a very interesting letter from uh, um, uh, James, the physicist in Wisconsin. 
Uh, I seem to recall someone warning the good old days never were that good. Um, uh, true, we have some uniquely diabolical trends today from what Ch Cheston called the virtues gone mad. I think that's a wonderful thing. Uh, the virtues gone mad. Um, you know, James is not uh, a Catholic, devout, but I, I think uh, James, evangelical Lutheran, but uh, pro -reform, pre Reformation Christendom had some deep problems too. Uh, centuries with entrenched simony, regions with priests who could not teach because they knew nothing. Actually, that's absolutely true. That there were parishes in which there hadn't been a valid mass said in years because the priests didn't know Latin and they just would go up there and mumble. Henry the Eighth was only a little more extreme example of tradition of secular meddling in Christian religious affairs. You know, I think what James is saying is true: is that we can reminisce about the good old days, but well, maybe, maybe not. Uh, so I, I don't think that uh, uh, I don't think that it's. Uh, you know, we can, we can, I always say that it was for this age that we were born. Okay. Is the mostly, this is from Alice, is the mostly Protestant practice of baptizing someone by immersion in the pool an evolution of the practice of the Jewish mikveh? All right. We baptize by immersion too. It is permitted. And uh, I don't know that most mothers are going to put their, their precious little gem in the hands of of a priest or deacon and have that priest or deacon, you know, drop them in a pool of water. Um, in the Orthodox Church, they still do baptize by immersion, even with infants. Um, but if you read, if you read the, the Didache, the Teaching of the Twelve Apostles, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, which most scholars say was written around 110 A.D., but a lot of scholars are beginning to think it may have been written as early as 50 A.D. and may precede certain books of Scripture. I don't know that I'd go with that, but, heck, I'm not a scholar. I just play one on the radio. But um, it talks about baptize in, in running water. If there's no running water, baptize in still water. If there's no still water, baptize by sprinkling. In other words, in the earliest days of the Church, they, they did what we do uh, as, as Catholics, that the, the sprinkling, the, the pouring of water on the head uh, in the Trinitarian formula is okay. Uh, the Protestant practice uh, and the Catholic practice uh, both imitate or both stem from this idea of the Jewish mikveh, which is a ritual bath in which a person sort of baptizes himself. If you got sh the schmutz of life all over you, schmutz is a Yiddish word meaning schmutz, and you go down one set of, uh, pair of steps and then you, one set of steps and you, you crouch in a fetal position, then you come up another set of steps leaving all the the, the dirt and, and the, the, the dust of the world in the pool. It's symbolic, but it's not sacramental, which brings us up to an inter interesting uh, letter that I was sent uh, from uh, uh, Colton. The scriptures say that Jesus was baptized. Do you think his mother Mary was ever baptized? Yes, I do. She was not baptized sacramentally, but she seems, if you read something called the Gospel to the Hebrews, she and the, the relatives, the brothers of Jesus, went down with Jesus to be baptized in the Jordan. Now, John was not practicing a sacramental baptism. He was, he was, it was a symbolic baptism in which people who were, in order to undergo conversion to Judaism, part of the process is this mikveh. You, you, you study the law, you begin to live by the law of Moses. If you're a man, you undergo circumcision. And then the final step is you go into the mikveh and you come up 
you go in a Gentile and you come up on the other side a Jew. That's part of the Orthodox ritual of conversion, I, I've been taught. I think I'm right on that. If I'm not right, I would like to be corrected. But what John was doing was saying nobody is born. In, uh, you know, people say, well, I was born Catholic. No, you weren't. You were baptized Catholic. What John was saying is, to those people who say, we were born Israelite, saying, no, you're not. You're not Israelite unless you obey God, which was an affront to their dignity. So she was not baptized sacramentally into the people of God. She didn't need to be. She was immaculately conceived. But in her humility, she submitted to this this symbolic washing, uh, uh, um, uh, according to the Gospel of the Hebrews. Now, whether that's true or not, there are parts of the Gospel of the Hebrews that are quite fascinating, uh, but it was not recognized as canonical by the early church. So, But it does indicate that, yeah, that our Blessed Mother uh, um, respected uh, the work of John. I don't know. You know, th this is not proof in any way. But certainly she was not and did not need to be baptized sacramentally into the church. <sighs> That said, let us go to a break. We'll come back with a word of the day, and we'll open the phones at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. This is your friend, Father Know-It-All, reminding you to take everything I say with a grain of salt. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. I'll be home for Christmas. Oh, this is such a sad song. This is a Second World War song. I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. It was written for the soldiers. So that was a long time ago, but it's... Um, it's still a memory to some. So at any rate, let's go to the word of the day. <laughs> the voice may just said, ah, I didn't mean to bring the show down. Well, you did. I'm kidding. No, you didn't. <laughs> I'll be home for Christmas. All right. I hope my room is clean. Let's go. Okay. Where was I? Okay. This is the word of the day is, well, it's, it's, it's a word, both a verb and a noun, of course. Where'd I put it? Come on. Where'd I put it? It is, uh, Biazzo. And then the noun is, or the adjective is biastis. Uh, it means force. When you read in the scripture that uh, from Jesus says, truly I tell you, this is Matthew eleven eleven. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is yet risen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet even least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And people say, well, that means that uh, John is greater than Mary. No, no, no. Our Blessed Mother is in the kingdom of heaven. And by virtue of my baptism, so am I. And I cannot, I, I could not figure in what way I, a devout coward, am, in, am greater than John the Baptist. I know something that John didn't know. I know the cross. But that's not what I want to talk about. Very strange. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence. And... Uh, now, the kingdom of heaven is forced, as in when you force a lock, uh, and the violent lay claim to it. And the word violent here is biaste, which means one who is eager in pursuit. Now, what's going on here? John is talking to all these nice people who, 
for whom religion is a kind of, well, hobby, uh, education, uh, uh, you know, uh, just a profession. Uh, so uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you see someone dressed in fine clothes? Uh, those who are uh, wear fine clothing are found in King's Palace. What should God see? Prophet, yes, and more than a prophet. Uh, Jesus, uh, this is Jesus talking. Otherwise, uh, um, this is the one about whom it's written. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you. And then he says, uh, I tell you, oh no, that's, let me get to 11, 11. Uh, um, eleven, twelve, rather. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven, and they usually translate, has been subject to violence. No, it's been subject to force, and the forceful lay claim to it. In other words, Jesus is living in a world where there are people who are, well, religious professionals, the Sadducees, the priestly classes, the royalty, the the Pharisees, the people who, you know... Don't do this at home. We'll take care of religion. You pay, pray, and obey, and uh, we'll we'll be religious. Well, what Jesus is saying is, religion is not a gentleman's pursuit. That 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 the kingdom of heaven is only available to those who passionately and with ardent zeal. A friend of mine wrote me about ardent zeal, who claim it with ardent zeal. You know, uh, uh, a little bit of religion. Most of us, you know, are all for just a little bit of religion. We don't go to church, but we send our children to religious education because a little religion is good. No, a little religion is not good for you. It, it simply makes you guilty because you know <laughs> what the Lord requires. No, to be zealous, to be passionate, to be forceful. That's what's being said here, that God's God's royalty, as I always translate that word kingdom, that God's royalty is available to those who eagerly desire it. It isn't an inheritance or a sinecure or something that comes along with your station in life or your job. You gotta, you gotta want it. You gotta want it. It used to make me crazy. The people said, well, I'm, I was born Catholic. No, you weren't. You were baptized Catholic and you're only Catholic, uh, I think, to the degree that you, you are zealous for the kingdom of God, you know, that uh, um, we like to count in, in in a diocese, oh, there are two and a half million people in the diocese. How many of them go to church on a Sunday? 200,000, 300,000? That means there's two or 300,000 Catholics. We're not a large church. We're definitely not a large church. We're, we're small, but um, that doesn't matter. All right, well, let's go to phone calls. <laughs> Fien is ringing. And who is on the phone? Who, what, where? Sam! Are you. Where's Sam from? California! Sam from California! What can I do for you? Hi. Um, so I just. I have a question. Um, I feel like God might be, like, punishing me with, like, memories from the past. Um, mm -hmm. And I just. I just don't know what I should do. What should you do? Um, what should you do? Um, are these, these are terribly painful memories, I imagine. And what should Not you do? What, 
what, you know, the psalm says, read Psalm 51. That's what you should do. Uh, that that um, uh, Psalm 51 says, my sin is always before me. Well, I thought the book of Isaiah said, he casts our sins into the sea of his forgetfulness. Yes, but my sin is always before me. In other words, God has forgotten what I can remember. Well, how can that be? Well, God's infinite. He can do it. The point is that when I have a memory that comes up, especially if it's about something difficult or even sinful, when a memory like that comes up, say, Lord, I thank you that you that you love me despite this and that you have you have saved me and, and, and cherished me. Thank you. Just thank him. The prayer of thanksgiving, I think, is very powerful in that sort of thing. I, I don't know that God is punishing you. Uh, I wouldn't say that. I think God is reminding you of his love and mercy and forgiveness. Does that help a little? Um, it, it does. Um, uh, so like the memories are of like some, somebody of, of my past, like, um, mm-hmm. just somebody that I had kind of dated, um, but it mm-hmm. was just, it ended up just kind of being like physical. This is before I was saved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, then what you do is you say, Lord, I ask you to bless this person, and I thank you that you saved me. Pray the prayer of thanksgiving as often as possible on that. Uh, the devil doesn't like thanksgiving. If anybody's bringing it up, it's the devil. And I would just say, Lord, thank you for this memory, and I ask you to bless this person. I thank you that you saved me and loved me, and move on. And especially if they're in their memories of sins of the flesh, the Hail Mary is a very, very... Uh, powerful prayer uh, because the devil hates it uh, it reminds the okay. devil that 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 the human body especially a woman's body is sacred and uh, uh I've, I've seen that time and time again so just say thank you lord that you saved me and you you love me anyway and then say a quick hail mary and you'll find pretty soon the devil gives up okay okay works, okay thank works you so wonderfully much. god bless you and, and uh hang in there who have we got now dear voice in my head Hector from Texas, uh, what can I do for you, Hector? Hi, hi, Father Rich. How are you? Pretty good, all things considered. Uh, <laughs> good, good. So I just love your your mass hysteria segments. I, I, you know, and you have so many good examples of historical music. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> oh, my- oh, that's my producer. He picks the music. He's wonderful. <laughs> the voice in my head, so- Nick. <laughs> So my question is, and I've been meaning to call you and ask you, how do you feel about mariachi music? You brought up that you brought up the Manianitas earlier, mm-hmm. and that was a perfect yeah. example of. So my two boys play in uh, play mariachi music, yeah, and they are asked sometimes to fill in for for our sure. uh, uh, the choir, um, but but they're going to play mari- uh, you know the mass part yeah. in mariachi uh, stuff. And I've always yeah. thought maybe that's not something we should be doing, but. Yeah, I love the way you said that Mexican. The Mexican people love Our Lady. They love the Mass, and th- oh, yeah. I think that's what it's about. But um, I just wanted your take on it. You know, mariachi is. You know, when when you get a parish. I, listen, I was in the business of religion for a long time, and we got the better mariachi band for Guadalupe than the parish down the street. Kind of thing. That's not godly. <laughs> but I, I think if the attitude of the of the uh, musician. Is I'm here to do this for the for the the, the sake of La Virgen, the, the Blessed Mother. 
Um, you know, it's, it's, if it was a steady diet, then I think it would be bad. But for a great feast day to do something to honor the Lord and the blessed mother in that regard is, is, is fine. Um, you know, good music also has a teaching, uh, a dimension of teaching. And I think it, it just breaks my heart when, when, uh, Mexican people lose that heritage, you know, in a unique way to be Mexican is to be a child of, of, of Our Lady of Guadalupe, because that miracle created mestizaje. Have you ever thought about this? That, that the kings of Spain said you could not enslave a fellow believer. And the conquistadores, they, they were quite happy to have people not become Catholic, because that meant they could enslave them. But when they became Catholic, they were, they were equal to the, to the, to the, the Hidalgos, the, 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 the big shots. And, and um, millions of, of indigenous people became Christian because of Our Lady of Guadalupe, because of the meaning of that miracle. And so that, that mingling of the Spanish and the indigenous, which created the Mexican culture, and the Mexican gene pool is the direct result of what happened at Tepeyac, in Guadalupe. Uh, Guadalupe. Uh, and so... Um, I, I think that 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 to to to, to kind of do something very special and very culturally Mexican on the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, that's appropriate. I don't think that's that's bad, um, you know. And what I'm trying to teach people with this mass hysteria stuff is, you know, there are three places in the mass, I think, and of course it's this is just me, where a hymn is appropriate. The entrance into the church before the mass begins. And the leaving the church uh, at the end, the procession, the recessional, those are outside the framework of the mass. And after the psalm is 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 said or recited in communion, there's room for a hymn while people receive holy communion. The where I would have the problem is uh, uh, when you do the 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 the, the mass parts. Uh, as mariachi because people can't really participate in them so i would i would you know if if i was king of the forest then i i would say no you sing you chant the the lord have mercy you chant the the santo santo and you chant the uh the cordero de dios along with the psalm verses in the body of the mass you see the whole thing is uh, I, i'll repeat it again we we don't sing hymns at mass we're supposed to sing the mass and and those are parts of the scripture, but there still are opportunities for 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 hymns. Uh, and and I think, you know, if I was a pastor of a parish now, thinking about it, I would I would have the mariachi play, and then I would have the mariachi down in the hall for chocolate and atole and all that other good stuff, and the tamales that Mexicans. Uh, I ate a lot of tamales on Our Lady Guadalupe this year, but you know, so uh, does that help a little? I I think so. Um, you know, and the reason I say I like your segment is because I, I, this is going to sound really bad, probably, but I can't stand for to hear uh, the choir. I feel like they're some sometimes they're up there, uh, they they are um, they, they're trying to be uh, be discovered, and I, you know with oh, this oh yeah, you know it's just 
yeah, oh, yeah. and and that, that's this is so pro- that that you've been doing this segment. I I, I love it. Yeah, it just I know I spent most of my life in the in the Hispanic world and in the charismatic prayer groups and exactly that. You know, we're going to be discovered and we're going to this we're going to sell our records and be famous and rich. And um, now there are a lot of choirs who are absolutely sincere, but then there are some who, you know, it's the battle of the bands and um right. uh, it, it just it's, I remember the prayer group where there were 10 microphones uh, for the choir, and there were only five people at the prayer meeting. I said, "You don't need microphones. It's craziness." So, yeah, it's 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 a tough thing, but you know, we'll hang in there and persist. And I don't know if I've ever shared uh, this a motto by which I try to live my life. You know, if a Mexican says, "Oh, eso no pica," that that isn't very picant, that not very hot. Don't believe them. <laughs> for a German, it'll burn your mouth out. So my motto is: food and music should not hurt. So, at any rate, <laughs> words to live by. Thanks for calling in. And speaking of food and music not hurting, Drew is coming up, and he's very mellow on the ear. He's got a radio voice and a lot of good things to say, so don't go nowhere. Oh, I got 45 seconds yet. What am I going to do with 45 seconds? The voice of my just said 45 seconds. It's not long enough to tell a joke or a word of the day or... I don't know about you. The weather where I am is very lovely. It's kind of warm. All right. Where's the music in my head, voice in my head? There it is. I can stop talking. I have so much fun with you guys. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. All right. Stay tuned for Drew. He's a lot more content-oriented.